Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 772 with Gemma Lee Roberts. Gemma does a fantastic job of understanding and unpacking the latest science on resilience and how we can use it to bounce back and enjoy life and work all the more. So you'll learn, one, why you shouldn't confuse grit with resilience, two, the challenges worth seeking out to build your resilience, and three, how to build resilience into your daily routine. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to bits that we mentioned here, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP772 and explore some of our goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com from the full text transcripts that are all searchable to the gold nugget email summaries. A lot of goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Gemma's story. Gemma Roberts is a chartered psychologist who has spent most of her working life teaching, writing, and speaking about what it takes to navigate challenges successfully, build resilience in the face of adversity, and create environments where each individual can thrive and perform at their peak in their unique way. Her book, Mindset Matters, Developing Mental Agility and Resilience to Thrive in Uncertainty, just released recently, and it came from her Mindset Matters newsletter on LinkedIn, which has over half a million subscribers. She's also a LinkedIn learning instructor with her courses garnering over 3 million learners. She also hosts the We Got This Work Plus Life audio series on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Gemma for sharing her wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Gemma. Gemma, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Hello. Thank you for having me, Pete. Well, I'm excited to hear your wisdom. And I'd like to start in March 2020 and hear your story right at the beginning of pandemic times. You start your Mindset Matters LinkedIn newsletter and things really take off. Can I hear the story? Yes. Well, I guess a lot changed my working life around then. So we had literally just gone into lockdown in the UK, the first lockdown that we went into following the outbreak of COVID-19. So it was a really scary time for lots of us, really challenging. I think for most of us, it ended up being. And my research area is resilience. So that's the area that I've worked in for the last decade, but also the area where I've been doing doctorate research. So I thoughts at that time that actually there's so much that I could be sharing to help people navigate uncertainty. And I had access, kind of early access to LinkedIn newsletters because I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. So it kind of seemed like the perfect time to share some of that 
advice, some of the evidence-based stuff that we know works. Because what I was seeing is actually there was a lot being published or lots of people talking about resilience, but it wasn't necessarily accurate and it wasn't necessarily that helpful. Because if we don't, you know, when we think about psychology, if we're not careful, then sometimes we can do more harm than good. So I actually felt a bit of an obligation to put some helpful, evidence-based, useful information out there that hopefully would help people navigate uncertainty. I mean, at that point, we had no idea what we were about to go through in the world following the, over the following um, two years. So I had no idea how that was going to pan out. So the newsletter grew quite quickly on LinkedIn Learning. And I think within 11 months, there were 250,000 subscribers. All right. Yeah. And today, kind of two years on, there's like 550,000 subscribers, maybe. So it really gained momentum quite quickly. And I honestly think that's because of the topic, because I talk, the newsletter is called Mindset Matters. And I think at that point in time, myself included, we were all looking for advice about what to do in this new working world. What do we need to think about? What's going to help us thrive? Or even sometimes just survive some of these challenges and changes that were going on. So the newsletter took off, which was amazing. And it actually turned into a book, which has literally just been released, which is very exciting. So the book is also called Mindset Matters. And I wrote that thinking about those people that are reading the newsletter. So thinking about people who want advice on these key areas of psychology or thinking about how we think about things, how we process information, how we can use that to our advantage in the working world and kind of built out the five key topics that I talk about. And I guess I got to, in the book, I got to go into a bit more bit more detail really around what those topics are. I explore a bit more in terms of research and case studies, but ultimately it's a coaching manual. So for each topic I talk about, there are coaching exercises in there. And I want it to feel like, for people reading this, I want it to feel like as close as it can to having a coaching conversation with someone and sitting down and testing out some strategies, seeing what works, tweaking things. Okay. Well, thank you for the story. And that sets things up nicely. I'm curious, when you said information going around that's not accurate, can you bust a couple myths for us right off the bat here? Yeah. So a lot of how we traditionally think about resilience is kind of pushing through. So perseverance or grit or mental toughness, whereby we face a challenge and we need to kind of push through, get to the other side, make it through, um, get past it. But actually, that's not really what resilience is at all. It can be sometimes, but that's not entirely what resilience is. So Resilience is positive adaptation following adversity. That's the kind of broad definition. And sometimes we do need to push through. Sometimes we do need to kind of figure out how we can take those next steps and just keep going. But also sometimes we need to stop. Sometimes we need to accept what's going on and we can't change it. Sometimes we need to rest. We need to build our resilience reserves up again. And sometimes we need to kind of break down to be able to build ourselves back up again as well. But that's not really the bit of resilience that we hear about. The other thing about resilience is we have been told, I guess, that it's up to us as individuals to work on ourselves, to become more resilient, or some of us just have it and some of us don't. Again, that's not accurate. There is so much in terms of context that goes into resilience. So things like support systems around you or organisational context where you work, you know, the business culture, line manager support, policies, processes, big changes going on in the world, like COVID, for example, changing 
a lot of our lives. So again, yes, I, I focus a lot on helping people to become more resilient themselves, the things that they can do. But it's also very important to take into account kind of what's going on around you as well and try and think about kind of the broader picture, which is not something that we were hearing a lot about at the start of the pandemic. And I think partly that's because that's where research is going. We're we're still kind of getting there with resilience research. So it's not grit. Resilience is not grit. It's not pushing through. Sometimes it could be, but other times it could be something completely different that you need. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that clarification, that distinction there. So positive adaptation following diversity. Yeah. Lay it on us. How do we get more of that going? Well, this is another little myth with resilience. Well, not a myth necessarily, but it's kind of something that's a bit unfortunate when it comes to building resilience. So when I work with people, particularly in a coaching context, um, quite often people want to build their resilience, but they don't want to face challenges because ultimately who does? Who wants to wake up in the morning and think, oh, I can't wait for this great big challenge that's going to come my way and I'm not going to know what to do with it. You know, most of us, we might appreciate small challenges, but big ones can, can sometimes feel overwhelming. But the the truth of it is that we need that adversity. We need challenges if we're going to build our resilience muscles, if we're going to learn the skills that we need to get through challenges in a way that's very healthy for us, or if we're going to learn from the situation. So learn what we're capable of or learn how it works for us when we react in different ways and would we do that again what different tools or um, strategies can we use in the future so if you want to become more resilient and and I do recommend that for all of us because I'm going to be honest challenge change complexity none of that's going away in our lives we will all have to deal with that at one point or another so If we want to be resilient, which means we can deal with those situations more effectively and in a way that's healthy for us, then we need to face challenges. We need adversity. The key thing is if we had a choice, which we don't, but if we had a choice, it's we want challenges that stretch us. They stretch our abilities. They could be really uncomfortable, take us outside of our comfort zone but aren't necessarily overwhelming. Because once we get to that overwhelming phase, it's quite difficult to focus on building those kind of personal tools that we need to be resilient. And actually, we we get thrown a bit more into survival mode. But the key is looking out for those, I guess, stretching challenges in our lives that are going to help us to develop, help us to grow, help us to learn something about ourselves and the environment around us as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're on the lookout for the stretching challenges. And ideally, that's the nature of the challenges we get. This reminds me of that uh, Stephen Covey chart, comfort zone, growth zone, panic zone. So I've got that in my mind's eye. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, it's sometimes, in my own experience, sometimes this even the same challenge in, I guess, a different context, there's more stuff going on. I'm kind of sick. I'm a little sick right now. It can be like overwhelming, exhausting. It doesn't feel like a positive adaptation has happened afterwards. Just like, oh, I barely made it through that thing and I just want to sleep for days now. Versus, okay, victory. I, I, I'm stronger now. So can you zero in on, on what are some of the, I don't know, levers or, or adjustments we can make so that we more often find ourselves in the, yes, that was a positive adaptation following the adversity zone, as opposed to, uh, that almost killed me and I just need to sleep forever now. 
That, Pete, that's a really key point because this all comes back to that context part and resilience changing over time. So it's not, um, and resilience is a process. It's not a thing we have or don't have necessarily. We can have skills that help us, but the resilience process is dealing with that challenge or dealing with that adversity. And it doesn't always happen quickly. Sometimes we look back, you know, a year down the line and think, actually, yeah, I guess I kind of learned something from that. We don't necessarily do the learning, if at all, but if we're consciously trying to learn from the situation, we don't always necessarily do it straight away. So there's kind of two things there that you mentioned. So one of them is, why is it that some days we feel like we can deal with challenges and on other days, the exact same challenge will feel like the straw that breaks the camel's back and it's the thing that sends us over the edge. And the answer to that is that, again, it's contextual. So some of it's to do with us as individuals. So what's going on with us? You know, how many other challenges are you dealing with at once? Are they big challenges? Are they reoccurring? Have you got lots and lots of little things going on that you're struggling to kind of switch your attention between? Or is there one huge thing going on in your life which is taking over everything else? Because when we've got lots of things going on in our lives and we've got one big challenge going on in our life, it can make other smaller things sometimes feel a lot bigger. Or we might have used all of our resilience reserves, all of our energy that we've got dealing with those things. And we just haven't got any left when other things strikes. But that's why we respond to challenges, the exact same challenge in a different way on a different day. So that's something to keep in mind. But also the situation around us is changing all the time as well. So yes, There could be stuff going on with us, our energy, our mood, our health, things like our physical health, like you might be finding at the moment, that sometimes when our physical health is impacted or things like we haven't had enough sleep or nutrition's not so great at the moment, we might find that kind of psychologically responding to things, we just haven't got that resource. You've got an empty tank, you're you're running on empty. So that can happen. But it's this is why it's so important. So when I talk about resilience. It is a complex topic because it is a process. It's how we do the thing. It's how we overcome adversity and turn that into a positive adaptation either now or in the future. It's not a thing you have inside you that you can tick off the list and say, yes, I'm resilient 100% of the time. And I often say to people that are thinking about resilience that the goal really shouldn't be wanting to be more resilient or wanting to be resilient. Because firstly, how do you measure that? I don't know, because I've not faced every challenge I'm going to face in my life. I don't know, you know, something big comes my way. Think about the pandemic, for example. I don't know how I'm necessarily going to react to that. But also, it's, it's never done. You know, you're never, it's not like, I don't know, having, I've got brown eyes, for example. Yep, very clear, I've got brown eyes, that's done. That's probably not going to change my life now, unless I wear contact lenses. The goal really should be, learning about yourself. So learning about how resilience works for you, because again, it works differently for all of us. So what I need today to be resilient, even if I was in exactly the same situation as you, will be different to what you need today to do that. So it's first we'll learn about what we need. But it's secondly about learning tools, strategies, techniques that we can use at different points in time when we need them. So the goal really should be learning about your own resilience and learning tools and strategies and keeping them in your back pocket for when you need them to cope with different challenges. All right. Well, let's let's cover those tools, strategies, and techniques, both in the moment as well as preparatory. Like you mentioned, sleep and nutrition. Like if I wanted to be 
maximally equipped to take on a big old challenge, what are, are some of the the things I should do in advance? Like if I'm thinking of like a training montage or, or, or key practices and habits. So it's like when that thing comes up, oh, what do you know? I have built a deep reserve and, and capability to not be just sort of wiped out by that. What are some of those key levers there? Of course, there are things like sleep and nutrition, for example, which I know I've already mentioned. But, you know, I've got two young children. So telling me that I need more sleep to be resilient, I know that. I, you know, I cognitively am aware of that. But equally, I may not be able to prescribe that for myself every day because it's not always in my control. So it's having a bank of things to think about. So sleep, nutrition, exercise, they're good for any kind of health we're talking about, whether it's physical Um, whether it's psychological, for sure. When it comes to building resilience and the actual act of dealing with challenges or overcoming challenges, it's really important that you have taken some time to think about the challenges that you have faced in the past. So this is a little bit of building self-awareness and also some reflection as well. So either at the time where that challenge is happening, or you can even think back to where challenges have happened before, think about how you dealt with it, what was helpful for you, what wasn't helpful for you. Ask yourself questions like, would I do the same thing again? Would I change anything? Like if I was in exactly the same situation again, what would I do differently? And that's not about regret. It's not about regretting necessarily how you handled that situation. It's about saying, what did I learn from that? And what will I take with me? And what will I leave behind when it comes to facing challenges again? So this reflection is really important. Like, and, and, and again, like I said earlier about resilience, that reflection is never done. We have to keep doing this. When it comes to our minds and how they work and mindset, we have to keep doing the work. But there's also some really handy tools that you could use, some coaching techniques. Things like gratitude, for example, has been shown to help to boost resilience. Because if you imagine that, you know, we're either facing a huge challenge or lots of little challenges sometimes that becomes overwhelming and sometimes it takes up our thinking and we can't really think outside of that. But even doing something really simple like reflecting, either talking about or writing down something or three things that you're grateful for that day can help you to shift that mindset. So it shifts you just for a moment away from looking at what's not going so well towards actually something that could be going well in your life. And these can be super simple things. It could be a phone conversation with someone you care about or a great coffee on the way to work or a walk out in nature or watching some a TV program that you want to watch. They don't have to be huge. It's all, you know, bedtime story of your children. So there's techniques like that that can help. And also another thing that I always recommend people focus on if you want to think about, right, how do I equip myself to face future challenges? There is a really underrated part of resilience, which we rarely hear about, that comes out in research and it's part of my research as well and and it's in other published research and that's support so people around you and I think today more than ever after going through a period of time where lots of us haven't been able to be around people we care about necessarily kind of face-to-face and there has been some distance at times I think we're craving that even more so than ever and actually in my book some of the coaching strategies that I go through I talk about support so A really simple one, for example, is thinking about creating your own board of supporters. So this means, imagine you're running a company and you've got a board of directors that advise you on different 
parts of that business. They've got different areas of expertise. In the resilience world, we want a board of supporters. So you want to imagine your own table and you've got so many seats, whether that's five seats, 10 seats, you can choose. I tend to work with 10. And you want people on that table that you trust and they support you in different ways. So for example, you might have someone who has expertise in something you're doing in life, whether that be starting a business or the industry you're in, and they can advise on that. You might want people on there who are great at listening. So they don't necessarily offer advice, but they listen to what you're saying and they make you feel heard and validated. You might have people on there who are really good fun and they're the people you go to when you kind of want to forget the challenge a little bit sometimes and just go and concentrate on something else. And you've got people on there that care about you, that will offer some kind of support. And it's very different for all of us. But ultimately, when it comes to building our resilience and getting us in a position where we feel like we could deal with challenges that come our way, to give yourself a better chance of being able to do that, having this group of people, whether it's explicit and they know who they are, you've had that discussion, whether it's not and you just know who they are. You convene quarterly meetings. Yeah, you could have (laughs) quarterly meetings if you want to. I'm sure if you offered up a nice, you know, some (laughs) beverages and snacks, I'm sure people will come along. But it's kind of just knowing as well yourself that you've got that support and also identifying that support. Because, you know, how often do we sit down and think, I'm so grateful for that person, the advice they give or the support they give. And on the flip side, think about who you are a support for as well, because that also helps to build resilience when we are supporting someone else through their challenges. And it gets me thinking about dig the well before you're thirsty, but like just basic sort of networking relationship principles. Like you would be more capable of tackling big things if your board of supporters, if those relationships were in a good spot, as opposed to, oh, the last time I talked to this guy was three years ago when I was struggling with another business issue. And I haven't been, I've been doing a lot of taking and not a lot of giving. And so, so that's just sort of a, a, what's leaping to my mind here is to just go ahead and proactively, just as you, we would do some sleep, ideally sleeping well, eating well, exercising well to build up a, a physical wealth to be ready to handle stuff. So too, we would like to build up a, a relational wealth to be able to deal with stuff so that you do feel fully comfortable reaching out as opposed to, oh, maybe I should, maybe that's not appropriate. Maybe I'm, I've been all take, take, take with this person over the last couple of years. And I don't feel as, as, as good about reaching out now. Plus, I think there's some research about like loneliness stuff is, is like when, when you most need to reach out to somebody, it, it, it often is when you least feel like it. So you got those things to contend with. So anyway, this is what's leaping to mind for me here, Jebba. And I think it's right, like maybe we do need to do an audit. Maybe sometimes we do need to sit down and think, actually, if I checked in with that person lately, sent a message or had a quick chat or, and I think we're all guilty of that sometimes of some of those things slip a little bit or it's very difficult to keep on top of it. But it is important. It's important to, to check in and to make sure that we're keeping that board of supporters there because it's going to help us but also genuinely because again I talk about this in the book as well because connection is really important for us it's really really important that when we hit a challenge or when we go through a period of adversity in life that we are connected to 
someone or people or a community that we feel like they're going to help us as well. And it's very important for us to be connected to help other people as well. Because again, there's research that shows that if we're supporting others, we generally feel better about our own lives and we often feel better about the challenges that we're facing as well. Mm -hmm. All right. And so when it comes to gratitude, there's a number of different approaches to a gratitude practice. And I'm thinking of uh, of Sean Acor and um, Dr. Andrew Huberman here in terms of different um, flavors and approaches. Could you maybe list a few of them or identify your your favorite in terms of, ooh, this has a great research base or a tremendous ROI in terms of uh, resilience per minute required of us? The truth is we don't entirely know exactly like the best format for gratitude. So Andrew Huberman, for example, on his podcast has talked about gratitude, the most, from a neuroscience perspective, the most effective way to practice gratitude is actually not to think about the things you're grateful for, but think about stories where someone has thanked you for something or think about stories where they thank someone else. From a neuroscience perspective, that has shown the most promising results. From a psychology perspective, there is research that shows that actually just everyday gratitude, so you actually being thankful to other people, can also provide great results for you as well. So my advice with this is to find what works for you and do it in a way that works for you. The What we know across various studies, whether that be in the neuroscience world or the psychology world, is that consistency is key. It's very, like, that's quite important, the consistency part. So it could be that you do this every day or every evening at dinner or every night before bed or every morning for a period of time. I'm not saying you have to do this for the rest of your life necessarily, although it is quite a nice habit to get into, but it's doing it for a good chunk of time. So give yourself a month, for example, to do this. What's really important is that you are very focused on the process of practicing gratitude when you're doing it. So you're you're not thinking about something else at the same time. And it has to be genuine as well. Like our brains know if we're not being genuine. We can't trick ourselves. You can't just think, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a note of it. I'm just gonna write down I had a really nice coffee today. And I don't, you know, I wasn't really that bothered, but yeah, I'll I'll just jot that down. It's not gonna work. You've got to be in the process and you've got to be really thinking about that interaction with someone or the thing that was really important to you. So the way that I tend to do it is I'll pick a time of day. So whether it be first thing in the morning to kind of set myself up for the day or just before I go to bed, I'll think about it. I'm actually starting to try and do this a bit with my children as well, even though they're quite small, but they don't really know what gratitude is yet. So they're two and four. So we're just focusing on one fun thing that happened today or one thing that was good today that you, I mean, some of the answers are very random, especially from the two-year-old. But the point is we're starting to focus on, because they do a lot of talking about some of the things that haven't gone so well, like scrapes and cuts and bangs and sisters fighting and who did what. But actually I'm trying to shift that focus a little bit to focus on, okay, yes, we have to. And the other thing with gratitude is it's not It's not saying the challenges aren't happening and it's not ignoring them or not acknowledging them. It's saying, yes, those things are happening, but this stuff is also happening as well. So it's kind of providing a bit more of a balanced view, even just for a moment. That's often all it takes. So the truth is we don't, there is no one way of doing this. My advice is, and my advice actually with most of the coaching strategies that I talk about in the book, is that test it. See what works for you. See how it works for you. Does it work jotting this down? Does it work doing this on a Friday as you're wrapping up for the week? 
Does it work doing it on a Monday morning? Does it work doing it every morning for you? Does it work at certain points in time? So when you you might start to feel that stress in your chest or, you know, sometimes that anxious feeling that you might get, is that the time where it works for you? It's testing this stuff and, again, reflecting on has that been helpful? Has it changed my thinking process? Has it changed how I interact with the world or others in a more positive way? And tweaking it where you need to and kind of keep reflecting on that and making that reflection part of your kind of at least weekly life I'd say yeah that's that's fun and I guess as, as I've been doing so that reflection one little nuance I've discovered is that when I reread the list of gratitude bits it's a lot more powerful on the reflection if those pieces are somewhat unique like in the same day for example I might feel gratitude that my wife made a sandwich like, oh, good, I was hungry and here's a sandwich. That's great, thank you. So I do have gratitude there. You know, but if I write that down and then later I r- read it, I don't as much feel a resurrection of the gratitude vibes. Like, oh yes, because it's not that novel. It's like, yes, I was hungry and then I ate. It happened. <laughs> That's happened thousands of times over my lifetime. Versus on the same day, maybe I did a puzzle with my kids they're three and four, so also also young. And then Mary immediately says, dance party! You know, she just wants to celebrate having finished the, the last piece of the puzzle and, you know, and, and just immediately says, dance party, and starts doing a thing. And so I'm very grateful that that occurred and I had that moment and that memory. And, and I guess that's sort of my distinction, I guess, in terms of I'm grateful for this thing and it, it's, it's like it, quote unquote, qualifies as a memory, and, and in subsequent reflection, I go, oh, yeah, that thing was really lovely. And oh, yeah, that thing was really lovely. And, and it gives me more of a jolt than if it's um, just a very ordinary, like, I had another great coffee, I had another great coffee. So that's my experience. I don't know if there's research on it, or maybe that's your whole point. Reflect on what works for you. 100%. That's the point, like, reflect on what's. And the novelty part. So I talk a little bit in the book about novelty as well. That's how our brains remember things. And also really seek novelty that's interesting for us that keeps life interesting it keeps us learning we learn new things through novelty so we we're kind of hardwired for curiosity and novelty so we want to embrace that as much as possible so we probably will i think most people will find that if there's something to be grateful for that is kind of out of the ordinary that's the stuff we're going to remember that's the stuff that's going to make a big impact however we're not going to have that every day potentially and it's also really important sometimes again talking about mindset perspective it's a big perspective it's a huge part of resilience sometimes we kind of need to remind ourselves about those little things as well and even though you know making a sandwich for example or you know my husband making me and Lyskov like he's like chief coffee maker in our house and sometimes i have to really think because obviously I'm like, oh, thanks, that's really lovely. And I do appreciate it. But sometimes I have to really sit down and think, actually, that's really kind that he does that all the time, like way more than I do. <laughs> and actually, maybe I should be a bit kinder in one way or another. But sometimes we we can miss those, those kind of everyday normal things to be thankful for as well. So I definitely think there's a place or room in our lives to reflect on some of those things as well. But I know that's hard because it feels so normal. It feels so, so everyday that sometimes we don't appreciate some of those things until they're not there anymore. Yeah, you know, exactly. And that's where I was going to go is, is when you reflect upon the absence or, hey, there was a time in my life when this did not exist. Remember that? And remember, see how this is so much better? Oh yeah, that is cool. Having a chief coffee maker right there. Your book is called Mindset Matters, Developing Mental Agility and Resilience to Thrive in Uncertainty. We've talked about resilience 
What's mental agility and how do we get more of it? So mental agility is a lot to do with kind of being flexible in how we look at the world and how we process information. And it's kind of, I guess at the heart of it is not being wedded to one way of doing things or one way of thinking. So there's a lot in there about, I've talked a little bit about curiosity. So being curious, nurturing curiosity, remaining curious, even when things are really challenging. And there's some things you can do around that, like really simple things. Like for example, say like you commute every day and you get tube or a train into the city and you walk the same route every day to work, pick up your coffee from the nice coffee shop you always go to or pick up breakfast from the place that you love. That's amazing. But sometimes you can force yourself to go a different route and stumble across a completely different street or another little coffee shop that you haven't seen before. Especially, you know, I used to do a lot of work in London, for example, the less so kind of commuting since the pandemic. But, you know, especially in the city, you could the little tiny windy streets, you could get to the same place in a completely different way at different times. Or it could be things like going to an art gallery. I'm not really into art galleries, if I'm honest. I'm not really into museums, particularly, unless it's about a topic that I love. But sometimes it's about kind of forcing yourself to go and experience these things just because you might learn something. You might pick up something over here, an idea that later on down the line connects to something completely different that you're doing. So that's part of mental agility, this idea of being curious, but also being able to challenge your perspective and also broaden your perspective. So I guess when I when I first started out as a psychologist, when I was doing my undergraduate degree, I thought I was going to university to learn how people think and be able to help people think in the best way for them. And I thought I was going to go and do my undergraduate degree and find out the best way to think about challenges or the best way to think to create success. And I had a complete shock when I found out that doesn't exist. And actually, I I remember the feeling. I remember coming away from a lecture one day and thinking, I feel like my world is like crashing down here because everything I thought, I thought there was a right way. I thought there was a right way of thinking. I thought there was a right way of doing things. And I've just been told that actually there are a whole bunch of completely opposing theories, ideas, ways of doing things that can all work for certain people at certain points in time, potentially. And there's no answer. And I remember my perspective of the world being a little bit shattered. It took me, it sounds very dramatic, but it did take me a while to kind of get my head around what being a psychologist was going to mean. But it's, that's a key point is that, you know, I come to a situation with a perspective. I've got one perspective. There are hundreds of other ways to see that situation. So mental agility, part of that is training ourselves firstly to acknowledge you've got one perspective and there are loads of other perspectives out there. And secondly, to seek out those other perspectives. Like you, ideally you want to And it's not about diagnosing other people or how they look at the world or, you know, being able to put them in a box and you're in a different box. It's not that. But it's about thinking, you know, how how else could you look at this situation? How else could you look at this problem or this challenge? How do other people look at it? Ask them, you know, find out that information. It's things like consuming your news from different sources, not just one source or reading, you know, if you're a fiction reader, generally read a nonfiction book or vice versa. It's just kind of, and also, you know, particularly in those heated situations with someone where you, you, you're coming in strong with a perspective, where you can, it's taking that time to take a step back and, and remember that you're not necessarily right. You might be, or there could be lots of rights. There could be 10 different right ways to look at this. So that's part of mental agility as well, as being able to kind of move between ideas quickly. So you're broadening that perspective. Um, sorry, so you're keeping that curious mindset, 
but also being able to see other perspectives as well and training yourself to do that. Mm -hmm. And so then that sounds handy, both in terms of problem solving in the context of, hey, here's a big tricky thing. Oh, because I have multiple perspectives, I have a greater chance of being able to crack it. As well as I'm imagining just like emotionally <laughs> realizing that when you're in a moment of this sucks, I hate this, I'm suffering, I want it to stop immediately. If you've got some great mental agility, you could say, well, actually, you know, this might sort of be helpful in some ways like ABC. I'd still rather not deal with it, but, you know, it's not totally worthless. Yep. 100%. It just, it changes the way you look at challenges and at situations. And honestly, you know, let's be honest, some of the big challenges we have to deal with in life, we would never want to face those. We would never wish them upon people. We've got to be a little bit careful in the resilience world in that, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, it's amazing. The more challenges, the better for all of us. Because ultimately some, you know, challenges can bring pain and they can bring discomfort and they can bring upset and you can feel unsettled or overwhelmed or anxious. And that exists. We can't deny that, but we can't change that. So the only thing that we can do is find ways to look after ourselves and to deal with those situations in the best way that we can. And by the way, it's completely acceptable to fall apart when things are not going well. It is completely acceptable to feel overwhelmed, anxious, stressed, depressed, all the things. That is okay. It's not necessarily about denying that or changing that straight away. It's about moving things in the direction that works for you over time. You don't have to do that straight away. All right. Well, Gemma, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I understand that the concept of resilience is complicated. I do understand. Like, There's, there's a reason I'm doing doctoral research in the area because also, you know, there's still lots of stuff that we're still learning as well as psychologists. But my biggest tip, if you're thinking about yourself and how you cope with challenges and uncertainty is firstly get to know yourself get to know what's happening to you reflect on that build your self-awareness again it's never done I still have to do that always I still sometimes have to sit back and think why did I react like that that was completely like not appropriate response considering the challenge like in my head it doesn't really matter but that's how I feel about it so get to know yourself and also just keep testing. Just keep testing what works for you. All we can do is try. And my intention is always to get better at this stuff, to grow, to d- develop, to learn. And that, I think I think that's all we can, but that's all we can have in these situations. All right. Thank you. Now, could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So one of my favorite quotes is, you can't stop the waves from crashing but you can learn to surf. And lots of people have used this, so it can't really be attributed to one person. But basically, that's what resilience is. We can't stop the waves. We don't know how big they're going to be, but we can learn to use it in one way or another. I mean, you might not want to be surfing. You might rather be out of the water. I, would, I, I don't really want to be surfing. I'm not a natural. But equally, I know that I can learn to do that if I need to. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, this might be a bit of a strange answer, I guess, but probably my research, because my piece of research is looking at the factors that impact resilience for leaders. So how much of it is down to the individual? How much of it is down to the environment? How much of it is down to the teams they work with? It's been a real kind of privilege to delve deep into that, to understand a bit more about how resilience changes for each of us at each moment in time and why and what we can do about that. All right. And a favorite book? A favorite book. 
While my most gifted books, it must be one of my favourites, is The Chimp Paradox by Professor Steve Peters. So the whole point of the book is that it focuses on how our minds work, how we talk to ourselves in our minds, and it uses kind of quite a comical tone in some places to talk about some very complex psychology. So it's easy-ish. I'd say it's quite easy to understand and quite accessible, but also quite amusing as well. All right. And a favourite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? <laughs> I'm not sure I am awesome at my job. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not every day, that's for sure. My favourite tool is probably getting help where I need it. And that's taken quite a long time to get in place. So I have various people that support different parts of my business and different parts of my work because I'm not an expert in everything. And I think over time, I've got to know the bits that I'm good at. So explaining complicated things, turning into tools that are really accessible, like research, making it practical. But I'm not so great at marketing or, which I think is something else I'm not great at, managing my diary is quite a bad one. So I've got people around me. Over time, I've built that out. I guess it's a little bit like my board of supporters, but it's in a work context, but it's getting the support where I need it. And also sometimes I find that quite overwhelming because I think to myself, I've got to do this new thing or I need to outsource something and I just don't know where to start. And I've slowly started to get into the process of thinking, actually, I always find that support when the time's right and when it's the right person. Sometimes you just got to wait for the right person to kind of show up to help with that. So I've I've kind of, that's got a little bit easier for me. But I also find it very hard to let go of some of this stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often point that resilience changes over time and it's different on different days that's the stuff that I hear time and time again when I'm either working with individuals or I'm working with groups of people that I think is quite comforting that there is no the end goal is not to be resilient I think that's probably one of the key things that I talk about it is giving yourself the tools to be able to deal with challenges that can help you to be resilient but it doesn't make you resilient all right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Probably my website. So GemmaLeeRoberts.com because everything I kind of do is on there. So like courses and books and all of that jazz is on the website. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes, I do. So challenge yourself at least this week and try and build this into every week if you can to take 20 minutes at the end of each week to just do a little bit of reflection. I know I keep talking about it, but this honestly helps you to get better and better. So we think about that continuous improvement over time. If you can get 1%, even half a percent better at what you do each week over time, you're going to see big results. So there's three things that I would focus on. First of all, you review how that week has gone for you. So you literally, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well. That's it. And then you think about refine. Okay, so how can I refine some of that stuff that didn't go so well? What can I do in a little tiny bit better? Just a tiny bit better. And the third step is repeat. You just keep doing this over time. It comes back to that reflection. So you're you're very conscious of what's going on and very aware. Tiny, tiny, tiny tweaks to make things slightly better and just keep repeating. That's the consistency. All right, Gemma, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you... Much luck in mental agility and resilience. Thank you very much. I really love what Gemma had to say about your board of supporters and to take a moment and think about who are those people and how strong is that relationship? And do you need to maybe do some reaching out and building and developing and enriching those relationships so they are good and strong when you need them? And 
to support them and enjoy the feel-good benefits that come from that, as well as the science-based resilience boost you get as well. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP772. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.